Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Wrestling University. I'm Joe Hendry and today, as always, I'm going to talk to the legendary trainer. He trained The Rock, Kurt Angle, Edge. It's, of course, Dr. Tom Pritchard. But, you know, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening, but also to Ring of Honor Wrestling. Uh, they've been unbelievable in supporting me with everything that's going on with the pandemic. I can't get over there right now to get back to tapings, but they have been supporting me, honoring my contract as normal. So I want to say a huge thank you to them. So if you want to support a company like that that's getting right behind the wrestlers, please watch Ring of Honor. The product has been unbelievable. The Pure Tournament was sensational. The sports presentation that they've got as well is very unique. So if you're looking for something a little bit different, please do check out Ring of Honor Wrestling. All right, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Hello and welcome back to Wrestling University with Dr. Tom. Tom, how are you? How's your week been? Joe, it's been a great week. Great to talk to you again. I'm looking forward to it. We had a lot of great conversations last time about, um, you know, basically how to uh, put in the work, become a, a company guy, you know, put in the time, make yourself valuable, but also the importance of experience and trying things out and success and failure and having some patience. And this week, I want to ask your opinion about uh, we talked last week about pop culture and how it's kind of cyclical and we talked about um, that side of things and what I want to ask you this week is there anything that you think in in for example in the 70s or 80s or even before is there any move or sequence or gimmick or anything that you've seen and you've gone that would get over today if someone did it well I remember when uh, let me let me just preface by saying this. I remember when Mick Foley first came in WWE as Mankind. Yeah, uh, he needed he needed a move. He needed a hold, and he knew the guy to talk to was Jim Cornette because Jim obviously is an encyclopedia historian and just a, a student of the game. And uh, he told Mick about the mandible claw. Now, this was done in the early 60s, I believe, by a guy named Dr. Sam Shepard. Dr. Sam Shepard was only in the business maybe three months, and it was in Los Angeles. Uh, he, he was this famous guy who was convicted for killing his wife and family, but uh, they overturned the conviction somehow. I don't remember. They made a movie about it. And, so and it was is called, this his gimmick, or did this actually happen in his this life? This actually happened. They, they wow. made they made a movie about it called The Fugitive. The Fugitive. Uh, yeah, and, and there was a TV series about him, too, over here in the States for, for, for a few years. But, yeah, Dr. Sam Shepard, it, it actually happened. He went to prison, um, and then he got out. And he met a, a wrestler by the name of George Strickland, who was also wrestling in L.A., and and a lot of publicity around the case. Uh, and and the guy was a legit doctor, I believe it was. Um, and uh, he, he came up with the mandible claw. You take two fingers and you actually put it under the tongue inside. And you push down and you push up at the same time. So you're going, ah. Okay, well... I remember Don Jardine, the spoiler, using that in nineteen in the nineteen seventies in Houston, and he called it the Singapore Jaw Claw. And uh, the story about Dr. Sam Shepard is uh, again he met George Strickland, fell in love with George's fifteen-year-old uh, daughter, married her without George's permission. George's I'm actually, consent. I'm, I'm on his Wikipedia problem. page right now, and it's yeah. saying that basically he used the fact so his notoriety for having 
committed these murders or yes. you know it had been overturned and that was to promote his gimmick you know that is it you know we think Cor- it's bad yes. nowadays but jeez my guy, uh, hey well there we go that was society back then too yeah. we used to be able to smoke inside <clears throat> but <laughs> <laughs> anyway you know so so all these things uh played out in three months just a, 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 was it three months as a say it on the wikipedia about how long he was in the uh, business? It said so. He was he debuted in August 1969 at the age of 45. Yeah, um, and he had 40 matches before his death in April 1970. So yeah, not far off. Months, not okay. years. No, no, yeah, you months. Yeah, you're correct. So anyway, I knew it was a short time in L.A. Anyway, because George wanted to kill him, and and he was just this obnoxious guy in the locker room with the guys, and uh, I was it was crazy business back then too. Yeah, so. Um, you know, that was, that was an example of then these days, there's a great match. Well, to me, it's a great match. It's Buddy Rogers versus Pat O'Connor, uh, where Rogers wins the title from O'Connor in 63. I think it is, uh, or 61, 62, whatever it is, the early 60s, Buddy Rogers versus Pat O'Connor in this match, Pat does an arm bar and he walks all the way around Buddy's, uh, while he's on his knees while buddy's on his knees he pat gets a wide stance you can google that as well rogers versus o'connor comiskey park if he'd walk with the arm bar and it looks like he's wrenching the arm and buddy's selling like he's going to the electric chair we tell guys if you do that that move could get over if you make it your move and you add your spin to it you add your body language to it i believe that's one move that that could get over um, there's, there's a lot of other, um, moves and, and holds that, uh, that, that could get over if you educate the people, but at the same yeah. time, you have to educate the people back in the sixties yeah. and seventies. There, there was the heart punch with a guy named Stan Stasiak, as well as Ox Baker. And the object was, in fact, this is out there as well. If you if you go to YouTube and look at Friday Night in the Coliseum, it's a short thirty minute film. Uh, when in 1972, a guy named Jeff Winningham was coming along, and he took pictures for about a year or two years, whatever it was, and uh, he put out a book, and and he was also filming a short movie that he thought he'd get published or produced or whatever yeah. never made it and finally it came out this year and and they have a, an interview standard from houston wrestling uh, on the interview stan stasiak is, is standing there with paul bosch and a chart showing the human anatomy and he's explaining how when he hits you with the palm of his hand into the heart this ventricle gets shut down and this is the carotid artery he goes you oh, just a bunch of crap but but it's so mumbo jumbo and, and the only ones who would really know would be eh, doctors or people who would know well, you, yes I'm, I'm looking at it right now he's got okay. he's holding up the diagram and he's got the, the human body and he's pointing to the heart it's it's a, hey it's uh it's an interesting way to get the move over it's visually different it, correct then that's it but he's but the controversy was stan saying he's hitting with the palm of the hand yeah but they're saying he's punching, and they said, no, I'm not. Well, later on in the movie, in, in this film, you know, Nick Kozak comes up and tells Paul Bosch, you know, he's talking on this promo, says, you know, I've seen that, I felt that heart punch. He's hitting with the, with the fist. 
Stan walks up to the interview, says, you're a liar, you're a liar. So he nails Kozak with the fist. And then uh, Stasiak starts cutting a promo with Paul, and Johnny Valentine walks into the scene real, real easy. And Stan says, I hit him right here. I hit him right here. It's legal. I hit him with my palm of my hand right here. I hit him right here. And then Johnny Valentine looks, takes his fist, and John delivers the heart punch to Stasiak. Stasiak sells it, <laughs> and John goes, it works. It works. <laughs> so the next week they're going to have a match, and people have seen now John has demonstrated that he can do a heart punch just as efficiently as Stasiak, so you have your angle with your match. Now, can you do a hold like that these days? Well, I believe anything's possible if it's done correctly, but the problem is, I don't know if people would buy it. I don't know if anything yeah. like that is, is correct. But um, there, I, I'm, I'm sure there are some uh, a lot of holds. The Indian Deathlock's not used today a whole lot. Uh, once again, uh, it's what Harley Race won the title for from yep. with with Terry Funk. There, there's a lot of moves. Uh, I think educating the people and demonstrating them um, every week. You know, because it has to be in their mind and have to get it over. Um, I think anything can get over if, if it's if it's done great enough. The people's elbow got over. Um, the angle slam got over. The fu or the the uh, attitude adjustment. You yeah. know, so uh, and all they really are is a, is a fireman's carry, basically. Yeah. So, but 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 it's how you sell it. It's how you do it. So I really do. I think there's a lot of stuff. One of my favorite gimmicks real quick of all time I thought was was brilliant uh was the loaded boot the guy <laughs> would have a two inch loaded boot have you ever seen the loaded boot yeah 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 perfect you know then then the idea was you you would get the boot off and you'd steal it and go back to the locker room come back do a promo and and uh, you would put a roll of quarters in the boot and you would go out the, on the on the interview and you would say listen to this and you roll it back you hear the quarters yeah. go down, roll it back. Yeah. How simple is that? And people will go, it's got to be mercury. It's got to be uh, quicksilver. It's got to be, I don't know what it's got to be. You know, but yeah, yeah, I do believe if you educate the people um, well enough, I think anything can get over. So if you were, the, let's um, take a second to think about it this way. If you were to, you're a modern, you're training a modern wrestler and they maybe don't have the capability to educate people over you know weeks on tv or whatever they're going to be seen for the first time by this audience and they're going to go over um it just feels nowadays like everything has been done like i when i met goldberg the advice he gave me is he said what to do is if you're going to do someone he said all my moves were someone else's moves but i just changed one thing about it and i thought that was a really interesting way to look at it do you think that's the way to do it or do you just pick something from yesteryear What, what what do you think no, I, 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 that's a perfect statement to make. I, I always say if you take that move and make it your own by putting something different in there or making it different just, just by the way you move it or uh, by the way you move going into it or by the way you, you position it, it's the same move. Just add your flavor. Add your spice to it. Let me give you another example. Um, I, I have a guy uh, – in JPWA, he, he's a great help to us, but he's 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 a uh, over overzealous yeah. 
fellow sometime. So he wanted to try a frog splash. And I said, great, give me a frog splash. And he said, okay, which one do you want? Eddie Guerrero, <laughs> D'Lo, or Van Damme? I said, God, what's the, f- what's the difference? And he showed me. <laughs> because they all do a beautiful frog yep. splash, but they all have their style. So that's a great example of somebody who, okay, I put my take on it here. I may close up, I may go up higher, or I may, uh, whatever it is, I couldn't tell you the distinct individual ones, but yep. when I watched it, and then I said, okay, that's that's Eddie, I get it. And he goes, now here's Van Damme. Okay. Oh, okay, well, it's, it's still a beautiful splash. And here's D'Lo. Gosh, dang. I mean, the same move. The, the, the same uh, uh, characteristics, but he just they just changed one thing about it, yeah. and 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 that's a perfect example. How do you decide what moves should go where? Is it should you you escalate your moves? Is that is it as simple as it, that? Or I, no, no, I I don't. It, well, let me say this: it is as simple as that. But you, but every match has a story. You've got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Where do you put something like a frog splash? You can't do it right off the bat. You've got to build to it. You've got to, to lay it out. You've got to know where you're going in the match. Not, I don't mean call your match every single move, but you've got to know we're going to start out here. We're going to start in the beginning. If we build to get our heat, um, how do we go from the comeback to the frog splash? Well, that's that's pretty – it was easy in the sense that you could listen to the crowd. You could feel the, the energy in the building. And this is where the magic comes in because being a pro takes time. It is like being a magician. It is like being a, a stand-up comic. You have to know how to build your – your routine, build your your stories accordingly because you don't start out with a big bang at the end. You want to leave them with a big bang at the end. Uh, that's with anything uh, in in sports entertainment, the entertainment business, whatever it may be. We can control that ending. So, so you've got to have a feeling for it. This is where the instincts come in. This is why I say not everybody's cut out to be in professional wrestling. Not everybody's cut out to be an entertainer or, or a uh, comedian or or live live show this this really does take a specialized uh, way to do things but you've got to feel it not every crowd is the same this is why um i had a discussion with a friend of mine gosh during the summer about professional wrestling was never made to be nationwide reason being there were certain aspects of the south that people like it's it's the culture down south then you got aspects in the north the northeast that people are accustomed to or in tune with it's a different culture the the northeast was known for punching and kicking the south was known for blood and guts and and high flying and wrestling and ooh, wild and wild and woolly wrestling then yeah. you had um the, the Southeast, who's, who's kind of along the same lines. And then you go to the West Coast, and that was a little more showbiz. And then yeah. you go to Portland, Oregon, and they had more wrestling, scientific but real wrestling type things. So um, 
I, I do. I, I think that once it became it and it was nationalized before and it was worldwide before with the Chicago Dumont network and everything else. But it also had a research had it had a decline. Then it came back to the resurgence in the 70s and, and 80s and Vince took over. And now we're finding it. Of course, the world's a different place before than it's ever been before right now. Um, and it got to be everybody was doing the same stuff. Everybody had been seen. And um the creativity was still there to a point, but it was to a point. And uh, after you went through the Attitude Era, where the guys who watched the 70s yeah. and 80s came into their own, um, once that happened, you know, it kind of fell off because everybody became more of, well, let's do a lot of high flying, let's do a lot of super kicks, let's do a lot of this stuff because the video games – you know, the attention span yeah. and, and the world has changed. So, uh, how, how do you, how do you figure out where to put things? How do you figure out what to do? I, I, I think in this change that we find ourselves in today, too many people can be stars just by being on YouTube, just by being, um, on social media, whatever it may be, Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, again, the uh, era of the of the movie star has has kind of passed because yeah. anybody can be a movie star. And back in the day, uh, even before two thousand, I think, obviously before the internet, um, you know, you had to be special to be on TV, and you were special when you were in yeah. the movies and 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 a star. But now anybody can film something with their camera and be a star. Do you so think that's hurt the wrestling business? I do. In a way, I do. Because in, in a huge way, I do. You you can film your own wrestling show in your backyard or in a, in a rented hall, rented armory, wherever you want to do it, and produce it out there. Put it out there. I have a wrestling – I have a friend who puts wrestling on in his school, yep. and guys come from, from all over, and they get it on – they get to tape it and learn how to work in front of a camera and hit time cues, but it goes on the internet and he puts it on Facebook. I watch it. A lot of it is not good, yeah. but you see the one diamond in the rough. You see yeah. a guy who, who, who comes there, who, who is wearing his outfit, who is wearing his uh, clothes that look like they fit and looks like a star. Well, then maybe someone else will capture that. And see that and get hired. But I do think it's hurt in the sense that uh, it, it used to be a little more selective. It used to be you could uh, cultivate someone to come in. And it's also come to an advantage of people who, who may not be as polished yet, who may not be ready yet, but they're getting ready in the process. And uh, so it is catch-22, I think, at the same time. Has it hurt? Yeah. But has it helped at the same time? Uh, some people, Yes. Here's, here's a question for you. In your uh, training career, have you ever had a situation where you've thought, I just can't see how this person's going to get over, they don't have it, and then something clicks, and then they're just a different entity? Yeah, I actually have. I'll tell you. Um, <sighs> you know, and even if it was for a little while, uh you 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 sometimes see somebody and they're so out there they're they're just so uh distracted in yeah. their thinking in paying attention but yet 
there's this there's this element to them that even they don't know they have and and, and someone just has to come in and know which dial to tune in and I saw it with Santino because uh, I thought he was he was a serious wrestler and I thought he was a serious <laughs> just bland uh, worker but when they finally let Santino go out and do the comedy and do Santino not everybody's cup of tea but he got over um, and I just I didn't know how that was gonna be possible but it was and he did so I I, I my opinion has obviously changed but that's again that's just my opinion i i've seen it um how did he go from um this such a serious gimmick to then doing you know going to the other end and doing the comedy how did he have to ask was that his idea or was that someone trying to rib him or was it like how did that come about i i i think i I don't know this for a fact but i think it it happened like this sometimes you you are backstage and you're entertaining the boys or you're doing something uh funny or you say a joke um and it happened with vince i I don't recall the story who it was uh but vince heard somebody tell a joke and he said that's what i want you to do because it was funny and entertained vince at the time i don't think it was bradshaw i think it was somebody else but it was somebody along those during that era during that period and i don't it it might have been santino but i don't think it was and I, i think when the boys were together and Santino was being Santino and just playing around, entertaining everybody, uh, it's going to get the words going to get around. And maybe yeah. he was doing it in front of the writers and maybe that was it. And, and they said, well, we're not feeling what you're doing now, but we're feeling this. Let's write for this. And that's what you need to do. You, you, you need to have the writers want to write for you. Now, if it's something they want to write for you that you're not into, then you need to learn how to manipulate them to write what you want them to write. How do you so, do that? <laughs> that's a million-dollar question. It is a million-dollar question. You learn with your personality, with your presentation. How do you get someone to like you? That's a million-dollar question. You know, you, you don't don't go to the dating websites on, on the Internet because it that's <laughs> – that's one of the biggest works there is too. But you have to learn that it's the manipulation. It's the work. The work is backstage. Uh, what we do in the ring is really this much of the business. And that's that's a huge part a lot of people won't tell you. But it's true. Uh, they have to like you to want to work with you. They have to like you to want to write with you. How does that happen? How do you get them to want to write for you? How do you get them to, to like you and, and want to work with you? Well, that is the talent. That is the question. That is the mystical, magical um, performer's ego you've got to find and figure out and study. And what is this guy like? What is that guy like? What is uh, the writer's uh, Achilles heel? What do you yeah. do to get him over? Well, have you heard the story? I won't mention names again, but have you heard the story about the guys who used to bring one of the writers, uh, his favorite um, action figure. I haven't heard the story, but I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Well, these fellas uh, were being written for by this certain writer because he liked them. And they had a, developed a personal relationship, which is 
which was more available back then, I think, than it is now. I don't know the situation these days with 26 riders, however many riders they have. I just, I don't know. But back then it was, it was not as many, but these guys were, but all, all three of them were into the comic books and into the action figures. Yeah. So these fellows brought the writer, uh, a couple of his favorite action figures. And of course the conversation starts and of course they come up with ideas. And of course it flows into what can we do on the show like this to make the ideas work and flow even more. There's a relationship. There's your door opening. I mean, you could call it various things. You can call it kissing ass. You can call it playing the game. You can call it whatever it is, but you call it business in the end. It's going to be a fine and, line though, right? Cause I see. Some oh my people, God. Yes. It's just, some people are just, it's just intoxicating. It's so obvious, you know. How do Correct. you strike that balance? <laughs> you, you find out. You, you you trial and error. You you fail and come back and and don't fail again. Yes, it it's that's what I'm saying. Simple. Yeah, just go out and make a make a friend with it. Ain't easy because yeah. you do have to walk that fine line. It is the entertainment business. You're dealing with egos. You're dealing with fragile egos. Not only on the entertainer's part, but the writer's part. Everybody wants to be validated. What they're writing yeah. is great. What they're doing is great. And you've heard the stories, I'm sure, about showing up on Raw and tearing up the whole show. And let's start from scratch. To write a three-hour show with original content. You worked all week on this. And now yeah. you get there and I tell they're going to start over. Wow, we have working all week on this. So you've got about uh, four hours to do the show. Yeah. And then it changes on the fly. It's a very uh, thin line. It, it, it's it's. There's a lot of elements that come into play here that people don't even think about. And nobody will talk about, nobody will tell you about them unless you ask them. So, so yeah, it, it, it does come to that. Do you have to have talent? Of course. Um, does, does everybody do it? Not necessarily. I don't think Brock Lesnar has ever brought one guy ever, writer or, or anyone else. That, in that's action. interesting, though. Can we, can we maybe spend a little bit of time on that? People like sure. Brock Lesnar. People like CM Punk. It, with Brock, was it just because he was such a physical specimen, so great right from the get-go? Was was he just a, so so ready that he was able to just circumvent all of that? Well, first of all, Brock got that ready in OVW. So yeah. I do, and I we got it. We we got to give Danny Davis and Jim Cornette yeah. uh, and and all the trainers there, Rip Rogers as well, a ton of credit for that. But at the same time, there is no one who looks like acts like or is Brock Lesnar. He he's yeah. a one of a kind talent. He is a huge uh one of a kind guy, one yeah. of a kind talent. And you cannot stop the force. You couldn't stop the yeah. momentum. Same thing with Punk. He got over organically. He got over with even even with all the forces of evil who didn't want him to get over. He got over. So it was hard to ignore. It was hard. Plus he was over with some of the writers. Brock was over with the writers, but he didn't care if he was over or not because he was going to be over regardless. The 10,000 hour rule certainly applies, no yeah. doubt, in wrestling. But also, you know, the amendment is they said, yes, you have to have 10,000 hours to be considered an, ath uh, uh, an expert. But, but then they also had to say, but you also have to have talent. Just because you've done something 10,000 hours or just because you've been wrestling uh, 15 years doesn't mean you're great. Doesn't mean that you really know because if you've been wrestling 15 years and you haven't ventured out or got an opportunity yet, then you have to ask, we have to ask, why not? Why did you wait 15 years to all of a sudden say, yeah. well, now I'm ready to go to WWE? 
because it is a process, and and it's it, it, seven seven times Nettie Hart Nettie Neidhart tried, um, but she didn't give up. She didn't stop dancing until it rained. Yeah, and so there are elements with guys like Brock. There are elements with guys like uh, a Sid Vicious. You know, Sid just was was a specimen. There yeah. there, there weren't many people who looked like him. He was a uh, extraordinary he was that guy brock's that guy punk looked like a regular guy but he was extraordinary in his attitude he was extraordinary in his presence he was extraordinary in his presentation did so so have that presence because there are certain people when they walk in a room like for example when i met goldberg it was like you just even if i didn't know wrestling you would know that's a somebody did cm punk have that despite having the stature that, that didn't necessarily have I, you know like a brock lesnar or something did he have that yeah, presence I, when you walk into a room i i don't believe he did especially when i first met him but later on when he when he gained his status he, yeah. he earned it yeah. but but the the story heard a story that he was turned away at madison square garden when he was a champion because they didn't believe he was a wrestler you know so they're not going to turn away brock they're not going to turn away Sid, but but Punk just looked like your average guy. At the same time, when he came out to a crowd or when he was uh, on a show, there was some element of stardom to him, and and people gravitated towards him. Don't know why. Uh, he was an exceptional talent, no doubt in the world. But Brian, uh, Brian. Um, I'm sorry, seven, I just I just had a brain. Uh, Daniel Bryan. Thank you so much. I was going to say Brian Danielson, but I knew oh, that wasn't his yeah. name. Daniel well, Daniel Bryan. Yeah. yeah, it is. <laughs> but but I was thinking his working name, and I, I just yeah, yeah I just went blank for a minute. But Daniel Bryan it, it has the same way. He's not an imposing figure. He doesn't have that. You know, when he walks into a room, everybody goes, "Oh wow, who's that?" But it's, in in wrestling, they do because he's so great at what he does. And Punk, I think, had the same quality. Uh, when he came into his environment, when he came into his um, setting, uh, he w- he was revered and people respected him for the most part. <laughs> you know, you always had your jealousies and envy yeah. Yeah. Uh, running rampant. But but it was that element of um, <sighs> why are you special? Why would anyone want to put you on their television show and give you uh, five minutes, much less 15 yeah. minutes and two segments. Well, Brock Lesnar, you understand yeah. the, the, the guys who, who would give the writer a, a, uh, uh, action figure. You would understand once you would see the push they got, and then they were able to carry it out. That's, that's the idea. Yes. Get over with the writers and they'll give you an opportunity. If they shit the bed, if they, if they just completely blew it, then they wouldn't have had that opportunity again. So yeah. uh, they were taking a chance to get in, and they were taking a chance because, again, we call it kissing ass, we call it playing the game, whatever you want to call it. Um, it gave them an open door, and they went through the door, and they kept it open. So that that's that's a huge huge part of it. I've got I've, I've got a question for you that I I don't know the answer to this. I still don't know the answer to this, but. I, I feel like if I was to 
you know, meet somebody that was very important that was not in wrestling or whatever, I would have no problem getting myself over to that person or conducting myself, you know, in the right way or whatever. But I think as wrestlers, maybe not so much now, but especially early in my career, there's like, you know, when you see someone that's that's massively powerful and you meet them for the first time, you can't help but overthink that. Have you got any tips for wrestlers who are on the way up or trainees and let's say they bump into someone who's a massive figure in the industry or in management or behind the scenes? What should that first meeting go like? How do you make a good impression without embarrassing yourself or being overbearing? Uh, sometimes it's unavoidable, quite honestly, because I, I've made that mistake many, many times over. But but I will tell you the solution to that. Be professional. What I mean by that is say hello. Very nice to meet you try not to be nervous and that's yeah easier said than done that's you're gonna be nervous and people understand that the guys yeah. who have been there understand that they they certainly do but as long as you're professional and i i truly believe and i certainly can be wrong but i truly believe the guys especially these days who who have reached that status at least the guys i know who have reached that status have also, I've seen them in their most vulnerable beginning stages. Yeah. And they understand, and they still remember that. A guy like The Rock, who is the biggest star in yeah. the world, entertainment star, is still that guy who understands what it's like to be uh, be the guy who's looking up at the screen, at his idols, at his heroes. Yeah. His dad is a huge star. He still understands that feeling. That's why he, is a, he has and is capable of empathy when he meets people. He understands it. Not every superstar does and not every person's the same so all I, I would suggest when you meet someone like that be professional be respectful don't act like you're already in the game yeah. because you're not but be respectful and they'll know that and they'll remember that because they were there themselves the ones the class guys do the, the guys who have an understanding of this business the other guys who don't are complete assholes anyway and there's nothing yeah. you can do to get around it seriously yeah yeah. What, what would you say to, let's say, someone who's doing extra work and um, they meet like a, like the head of the company or, you know, so or a booker or something like that, someone who they would have no professional dealing with? Is that, the, is that a chance to get yourself over or is it best to just say hello and lay low? Just say hello and lay low right now, especially these days. And, and uh, I say that because they they we had some of our guys go for extra work last year. And um, w when they send you all the paperwork, they have these list of rules now. They didn't have all right. 10 years ago. They have a list of rules. Do not approach Hunter. Do not approach Vince. <laughs> do not approach, you know, just, yeah, because it's got to that point um, where – guys were showing up for extra work and trying to get over yeah. with Hunter, trying to get over with Vince. And it, and it was overwhelming. The way you'll get over is with your agent or the agents or producers, whoever, they're, whatever they're called now. Uh, if you get an opportunity to go to the ring and here's, here's the most nerve wracking thing uh, for any major company, I think for WWE anyway, let me say this. Uh, when you're, you want to go to the ring you're supposed to be there at whatever time it is. Yep. I think now it's one. 
and uh, get changed. You know, don't breathe. Don't breathe here. Don't breathe there. Don't walk here. Don't walk there. Wait, did you sniffle? No. Okay, don't close your eyes. Don't blink. Don't. Uh, what? Okay. They understand everybody's going to be nervous. And and they're going to ask you to go to the ring. And all of a sudden, you're down by the ring. But they have to walk, th- walk through things on TV, too. And they have yeah. to get things done within a certain time frame. So you're sitting there waiting, and you're cold, and you're nervous. and, and, and But... but that's again where you need to to summon the courage, and summon the patience, and summon the silence to where you just go relax, relax. I got this. Everybody's been in this position before, and they have. Even if they've forgotten, they've been in that position before. Trying to make a good impression, trying to do the right thing, wanting to do the right thing, being nervous. It's all part of the test. It's all part of the process. But. When you get that opportunity to get in the ring, you don't want to rush. You want to be calm as you can. And the guys watching you will take note because that's their job pretty much. Look at the talent who's coming for extra work. Look and see if there's anybody who stands out. See if there's any kind of vibe. See if there's any kind of energy that comes from them. Um, and recognize that that's part of being a talent scout, part of being a producer, part of being an agent. Does it happen every time? One, once again, I have to reiterate Natty Neidhart waited seven times, seven rejections, seven rejections. And she comes from the Hart family. Do you think that was a test? Like, do you think she would, they kind of said no more times than they would have to see, is she really dedicated? I, I don't I don't know if that's uh, the actual facts yeah. of the matter, but what I do think is maybe uh, they had too many women at the time. Maybe they looked at her and said, "Ah, we'll see if she sticks around because she's from the Hart family, and we know what the Hart family's about," and and that could have a lot to do with it. And and many many times, sometimes more times than not, when you have a, a family member not just in the business but the same company that you're trying to work for, it's it's not the easiest and it's not the best situation to be in because you're, whether you're not, you won't necessarily be judged up next to them, but they will certainly let you know, and, and they being the, the company as well as maybe your, uh, your relative or whatever it may be, uh, will, will let you understand that anything you do is reflective of um, reflective of 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 anything that happens, yeah. Uh, and you're on your own. You you have to prove it yourself. Don't don't rely on anybody else. And that's the way it should be. You need to make it yourself. And you need to prove it. But but the process of going to the shows and and being an extra, um, again, learn how to breathe. Learn how to relax. Learn how to be professional. Being professional these days, especially in a publicly traded company, is a huge, huge important step and, and an important uh, element and aspect of the business. So uh, when you go, you have to be ready for anything. And the only way to be ready for anything is just accept it and have the courage. You know, be brave. Don't don't, yeah. don't shrink back. And that's the hard part. The, the courage is a hard part these days. I'm finding out. I've got a funny story for you, Tom. I've got, again, I I have heard this from multiple people. I can't verify it, so I won't mention names, but I heard, and this is a famous story from the UK. 
from a, I won't even mention the company, but from a, a tryout at a major organization, someone said, I'm going to wait outside the boss's office because they need to see that I can do a backflip and waited <laughs> yeah. for the boss to come out and did a backflip in front of that person. And the boss turned to someone and said, I never want to see him again here. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's the stupidest thing you could do. How, however, however you're thinking at that moment, that's the dumbest thing you can do. Nobody wants to, when you go to a tryout. Nobody wants to see her a Karana, a tope, yeah. a backflip. Nobody wants to see that. We know we, we we understand. There's great acrobats out there. We, we I say we, the the WWE or producers of companies who who are looking for talent want to see. Are you able to walk in the ring? Can you lock up? Can you do a simple match? Can you do a simple spot? Are you coachable? Will you listen to what I say and then follow through? Can you adapt? Will you will you take your time? And we know not everybody's going to be able to do that. We know you're going to be able to do some of this, some of that, but not all of it. You, you may not. At the same time, what's going to impress people is your appearance, your presentation, your demeanor, your um, uh the perception that, that everybody brings to the table. Not every, pardon me. Not everybody has the same thoughts. Not everybody has the same ideas. It was interesting. That's like, great. Sorry, Tom. When no, I when I did a, if anyone listening is going to do a Ring of Honor tryout, um, I would recommend giving that a shot because, like I say, it worked for me. Got me a job, and it, it so it definitely works. And if you look at the the champions in the roster, most people went through that process. So if you're interested in Ring of Honor, definitely go to a tryout the next time they have one. But when I went, one thing I was pleasantly surprised by was they were all about psychology and basics and fundamentals, whereas there people think Ring of Honor and they're maybe thinking, oh, I need to do this move or that move, and they wanted the psychology. And it was Jim Cornette said something that I really took into that tryout, which, and it's, I feel it's really helped me and I think could help others. And he said it was difficulty level of five, execution level of 10. That should be the mentality for tryouts. Would you agree with that, Tom? I would agree with that 100%. Certainly, certainly 100%. Uh, because we, we we know if you can do a, a moonsault or, or a backflip, whatever, okay, we get that. But can you tell a story? Yeah. Can't Do you have a psychology? And the storytelling is the most important thing in wrestling. Yes, you need a backflip. Yes, you need a hurricane. Yes, you need a frog splash at the right time in the story. If you open up the movie with, hey, here we come, big car crash, bam, 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 bam. Uh, now what? What's next? Maybe if it's Fast Five, Furious Five, or whatever. I, okay, that that's that's the gimmick. Same thing, though, with, with Ring of Honor or Impact, WWE, whatever it may be. What we're looking for, what they're looking for, is storytelling psychology. Because once you get that down now, can you add something to this? Can we do a big move right here at the right time? Brock Lesnar was doing 450s. Off the rope, 450 splash in OVW every single freaking time. Shooting star press as well. Shooting star, that's yeah. what it was. I'm sorry. And and uh, Cornette came to him and said, stop that. Do it the big show. And he never did in WWE until Kurt Angle. Yeah. And then he missed. Okay? So <laughs> you gotta, you got to be able to hit it. you got to be able to get on there and, and, and at the right time. Do you think that would have been the finish if he had hit it? That was the finish. It was supposed yeah. to be the finish. Yeah. Wow. Sure was. Yeah. I think it was. There you go. All right. Well, that was another awesome episode. Thank you again for uh, sharing your knowledge with us, Tom. Could you tell us a little bit about where can we get your book? Where can people train with you? 
Can well, uh, yes, by all means, JPWA. You can find us on uh, the internet at jpwrestlingacademy.com. All the information is up there on our website. Uh, when our next training will be. In fact, our next training will be 2021 in January. We're going uh, this this class we have right now. Joe goes from. Uh, now until November 20th. And, uh, of course I'll be, we're going to take the rest of December off. Uh, you can get my book at amazon.com and, um, just put in Dr. Tom Pritchard's book and it will come up. There you go. Fantastic. All right. Thank you again for joining us, Tom. This has been wrestling university. Thank you for listening and we shall see you next time.